Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Drum Network podcast to align with our retail and e-commerce deep dive. I'm the editor of the Drum Network, Chris Sutcliffe. In this episode, you're going to hear from three absolute experts about what they consider to be the future of retail and e-commerce. So we discuss everything from what that means for brands who are looking to transition to a more e-commerce oriented strategy, to what it means to those brick and mortar stores who are still potentially playing catch up even 18 months after the pandemic began. So to begin with, I asked all our guests to introduce themselves. Please do stick around at the end because they will tell you how to get in contact with them if you want to pick their brains about anything at all you hear in this episode. Hello, uh, I'm Mark Mitchell. I'm a co-founder and chief innovation officer at Lively Agency. Uh, my role in life is to try and deliver experiences and design and, and strategize how experiences could work um, across content and digital executions to um, bring uh, brand experience to life. Very nice. Fantastic. And Ed? Cool. My name's Ed. Uh, so I'm an SAO consultant at Impression. Um, so I focus on the organic acquisition through search firm for kind of startups to, to international brands. Very nice. Fantastic. And Harriet? Hi. So my name's Harriet and I'm the research manager at market research agency Walnut Unlimited. Um, as an agency, we focus on human understanding. So using a combination of traditional market research methods and tools grounded in neuroscience and behavioral science to truly get to the heart of why people do what they do and how brands can influence the behaviors of their consumers. Um, I sit in Walnut's team of retail experts. So I work with a number of clients across the sector, particularly over the last 18 months kind of focusing on guiding brands through the ever-changing circumstances and now helping to position them as we come out of the pandemic. Nice, fantastic. Well, we've actually preempted a lot of what we're going to be talking about, which is you know, how do we take what we've learned during the pandemic and really apply it to consumer behavior going forward? But yeah, I wondered if maybe we could, we could begin, Mark, if you take us through what have been some of the biggest trends in retail of the past few years, um, and then we can sort of get into how they've been affected and even accelerated by the pandemic in a little bit. Sure, sure thing. Well, I think it's um, it's no secret that even before, even decade, a decade before uh, the pandemic uh, even became uh, obvious, that uh, the the digitalization and the internet was posing a major risk to retail overarchingly in its traditional format of um, being a high street location. Um, obviously, e-commerce has um, been a, a huge component of conversation and these strategic kind of. Um, uh, a direction of, of where the majority of brands have been uh, trying to adopt at the very least um, uh, for, for a really long time. Uh, the pandemic obviously has made that so visible and clear that the requirement for a digital presence and indeed kind of being being online, for lack of a better term, um, is, is completely essential. Um, and it seems as though the ones that were ready for it uh, have been absolutely the most most successful uh, ac across the board, and um, the, whether that be from a marketing capacity across uh, leveraging social, or whether it literally be through purchasing mechanisms and indeed having secure payments, or, or whatever that might be, um, being able to get online um, has 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 really allowed businesses to thrive, or indeed brands that haven't been able to make that transition as cleanly have have really really suffered. Yeah. Absolutely. And actually, that leads neatly on to my next question, which is, Ed, from your perspective, how many brands were ready to take advantage of that kind of early mover advantage when it came to actually being online and, and consumer facing online? 
Yeah, so I, I guess I guess those these kind of startups, I think we're in a great position because they were allowed to be more agile and more flexible in terms of their approach. I think more of the mature brands potentially found it hard depending on their invest in, investment in digital. I think what I noticed specifically is stores failing to kind of reflect their in-store to online experience. So um, just personally speaking, me going into a store and having that good experience of of their knowledge and everything about that experience. Whereas when I go to online because I can't access their store, that just wasn't replicated. So I think the stores that specifically did it more of the established brands that invested in making sure that their in-store experience was reflected online as well, um, succeeded, um, you know, succeeded well. And I think, you know, some, some of the on, uh, a lot of websites and companies now are still trying to get that right in terms of making sure everything that they do in store and things that are great, they need to be in that position to, to kind of really uh, reflect that on in their online presence as well. So like the social storefront, the website and everything like that, and making sure that that experience is there for the user um, should they not want to continue shopping in store or, yeah, have changed the way they purchased uh, moving forward. And then do you think that there were, you know, many of those legacy brands are still struggling with that? Is there sort of an expectation that consumers will continue to engage with them as they have in the past? Potentially. Well, I think it could be that they're in that space that uh, people in, you know, in the past 18 months have discovered new brands because of this. So therefore, you know, the established brands that they had loyalty towards, they may have, you know, through search, through social, discovered a new company that were able to explain benefits online or show through video, show through social. So therefore, that loyalty has changed. I certainly don't think you've you've missed the boat. I think, you know, it's a it's a key thing that a lot of online retailers are trying to invest in at the moment. But I think the ones that had got it right, you know, um, you know, before the pandemic had hit, certainly uh, benefited from that in terms of kind of conversion rate and and customer retention. Mm, definitely. And Harriet, from your perspective, then, I know our audience will be fascinated to find out how consumer behavior has changed, how we're actually interacting with brands, both in kind of you know brick and mortar stores and online uh, when it comes to a retail capacity you know, over the course of the pandemic. Yeah, definitely. I think we definitely kind of agree with uh, what Mark was saying there around kind of this increase in popularity of online shopping. Um, so at Walnut, we've kind of been tracking consumer behaviours throughout the pandemic, kind of including before we went into that first lockdown and kind of right up to now. And whilst back in March, so before we went into that first lockdown, we were kind of seeing around 18% of people saying that they'd been making more purchases online. We kind of saw that really quickly leap up in April to being 45% and then all way up to 68% in December. And we're actually still seeing that 43% are still saying that they're shopping online uh, more than usual. And kind of on top of that, kind of despite those restrictions now being eased, we're still only seeing kind of 50% of people saying that they had actually returned to store to buy non-essential items in the last month. And I think kind of we've been analysing this behaviour at Walnut through a behavioural science lens on behalf of some of our retailers. And what our work is kind of showing is that people's status quo, their kind of regular behaviours have actually shifted with us now kind of getting used to um, getting most of what we need online. So we're seeing that consumers are kind of developing a familiarity with the online shopping process. And behavioural science shows us that we tend to prefer things that we're familiar with. So before the pandemic, they were uh, preferring in-store shopping because, you know, it was it was what they know, it was what they were most familiar with. But the pandemic has forced us all to adapt to online shopping. So now this familiarity bias that we were seeing before to in-store is much less prevalent. And we'll 
sorry. <laughs> and um, yeah, I just can say uh, also as humans, we're kind of resistant to changing our behaviors unless we've got a really compelling reason to do so. Um, this is known as the status quo bias in behavioral science. And essentially what it means in this context is that for those for whom online shopping has become the norm, they're going to need a really compelling reason to then shift them back into store. It's kind of going to have to offer them something really different and something beneficial uh, versus what they're getting online now. Well, I know that one thing our audience would be particularly interested to hear is whether there are particular demographics who have, as you mentioned, undergone that kind of that transition. They're no longer adhering to that familiarity bias and they are maybe shopping online. So more than they were before. So um, I don't know who wants to take this, but are we seeing sort of across the board increase in that e-commerce side of it? Or are there certain demographics which are really accelerating faster than the others? I think from my side, and this is just, again, a, a personal experience, but what we've been seeing with user data as well is that um, the demographics have fundamentally changed because um, just a just a previous well, experience of mine is that my, my parents who are 60 plus refused to do online shopping and therefore only went in store to, to buy certain items and things like that. Now they had to have, this was kind of forced upon them, but they actually, you know, have now a good experience with online shopping. But I think that's, that's been, you know, multiplied for a lot of people. Um, so I think it's brought in a whole new demographic to online stores uh, that need to improve upon accessibility side of things with with website design and, and and those areas. But I think ultimately it's changed a lot of user data and demographic data data that people would have had to review their kind of audience personas to who are they marketing to and you know who are their typical you know target audiences such so i think that that's what we've seen from our side is that a lot of demographics look to change based on you know who on who are on who which people are online shopping now based on you know the post pandemic world see i think that's really mark from your perspective then to what extent is that kind of that demographic shift, an ongoing process, and how much of it has been, you know, sort of stopped and started over the past 18 months? Are we now where we will expect, you know, that this is what it's going to be like going forward? Or is there still more demographic shift to go? I, I think that the idea that it could stand still in the way that perhaps it has done uh, is is unlikely. I think that there will be a kind of a material change on an ongoing basis. Um, and, and primarily, I think it's driven actually by the the way i mean there has been such a level of education and risk taking and innovation frankly that's gone into having to um having to go online and a lot of the businesses are now understanding what those demographics that they are getting through to look like in a better way and that's just going to keep on happening it's it's a learning exercise just like the the the, the high street shops formatting has developed over time the digital one can now too and I think that the shift back to physical, although partially likely, won't necessarily be as important, perhaps, as the way in which people are engaging with um, uh, uh, retail in an online environment and the way in which they're experiencing that. And so I think that as, as kind of more time goes by in this newfound norm, actually, things will probably change even more in that direction and, and probably weight even heavier towards digital as things move forward. Nice, fantastic. And so the the big question then is who have been the the biggest beneficiaries of this? You know, we've seen some of the verticals. You know, uh, health and well being has obviously been a huge boom industry over the last couple of months in terms of e commerce. But who have been the either the, the sectors or the brands that you think have really taken advantage of this well? And well, you know, any of you can answer that one. Um, if I, I'll jump in, uh, the, the well, interestingly, uh, 
I actually think it's the service providers that are providing a lot of the um, uh, the infrastructure to enable the more agile businesses to be able to adopt digital strategies. I mean, people like Shopify, for example, these sort of SaaS layers or Stripe and its payments mechanisms. Actually, a, a lot of the technology providers that allow experiences to be more easily placed in these environments have done extraordinarily well because they're, 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 they're tapping into this kind of... Um, direct to consumer infrastructure for all intents and purposes. And they're making it easy for people to sort of play in that space. And the, the, the scale of, uh, of, of, uh, of value and investment in those areas is kind of pretty profound in some ways. So I think that, yeah, they're an interesting kind of liar within the mix that have, um, have truly proven their worth to a lot of the industry and are, are going to be center stage for a really long time. Nice. Fantastic. And then, Harriet, same question to you. Who, who have been some of those big beneficiaries of this e-commerce boom then? I think for me, the beneficiaries have been kind of twofold. I think it's been a great nudge to accelerate some of those smaller brands in developing their online stores and kind of giving them that nudge forward um, that they've been kind of slowly moving towards over the past few years. But I think it's also kind of undoubtedly helped out a lot of those huge brands like uh, Amazon, for example. I think we can't kind of shy away from how much it's helped them out, I think. It's a particularly interesting one from a, from a research perspective to look at the Amazon view of things as we often see kind of a mismatch between people's attitudes and beliefs when it comes to Amazon. And it kind of feels throughout the pandemic like those attitudes have been put a little bit on the back burner. Um, so when it comes to those attitudes, what I mean is that we kind of see a lot of people talking about uh, disliking the idea of shopping with large corporate companies instead of shopping with those smaller retailers. And also with Amazon kind of feeling like it's perhaps a less sustainable way to shop. We see a lot of people talking about the amount of packaging coming through when they're ordering things online from Amazon. However, it seems that kind of during the pandemic, the extreme level of ease, especially over the past 18 months when Amazon's kind of really helped to plug that gap when people haven't been able to just nip out to the shop to get things has meant that kind of despite those attitudes, people have continued to shop with them and shop with them more than ever before. And I think what this does, this kind of mismatch between the, the attitudes and people's actual behaviours, is it kind of creates this sense of cognitive dissonance for shoppers, which makes them feel a, a bit uncomfortable that their actions don't match their beliefs. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see as we continue to move out of the pandemic and things like sustainability shift more and more back onto the agenda, whether people are going to start to shift their behaviours to better align with their attitudes again or not. Nice, fantastic. And Ed, you mentioned kind of the, the agile companies being the ones who've been best placed mm -hmm. to take advantage of that. Yeah. But is that you know, is that the case? And should we expect to see that continue as you know, kind of those not necessarily smaller, but those more agile companies continue to adapt faster to those that rapid change in how e-commerce is presented online almost? Yes, yeah, certainly. I think sector specific, we certainly noticed it from the, the home and garden area. So um, specifically, I guess, due to the pandemic and then people being stuck indoors, looking to invest in their own homes and, and gardens. So and then also, most importantly, when they looked to purchase these products, they they wanted information of what to do with them, whereas they previously may have got that in store or got more knowledge or you know, obviously um you know, worked with someone to, you know, do their garden or something like that. Whereas I think what was more expected now is that companies would sell the products, but then also invest in content, video guides and things online. So it actually educated their customers on how to do that. So I think when I mentioned before about these companies that are being agile, certainly the companies that, you know, noticed maybe, you know, uh, a sudden 
sudden, you know, purchases coming through the website and then automatically, you know, customers um, through uh, customer support asking for more information or, you know, trying to find that online through their through their site search. I think that's the companies that were able to agile commission this content, make sure that, you know, content was on the website, calculators, tools, assets that were able to make sure that when the customers, you know, acquire this this product, they're able to do something with it. And I think when I mentioned agile, I think it's those companies that are able to be quite proactive and expect that and and invest in that content that can help their uh yeah kind of help their customers. Nice. That's such a fundamental change in how people actually think about um, almost the, the, what it is to purchase things online. It's no longer just, you know, finding something, clicking deliver and have it, you know, appear at your door in a couple of days. It's actually that sort of long-term relationship that you used to have with those brick and mortar retail stores. I think that's quite interesting. Yeah. And so then uh, I'm going to change the next question a little bit because you've, you've all answered the, the question to some extent. But I'm wondering what role the the agency has as a kind of an organization in talking to brands about their e-commerce proposition and how they should actually go and do you know do it effectively. Harry, I think you've probably got a really interesting take on this. How is the agency involved now in this new relationship? Yeah, I guess from a market research agency perspective, it's um yeah, perhaps slightly different, I guess. Our role in kind of supporting retail marketing campaigns generally can come in at any stage from that kind of initial ideation through to pre-testing, optimization, and right through to kind of measuring effectiveness of a campaign. I think at Warner in particular, we know that kind of getting to know your 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 humans and really understanding those consumers at an emotional level is going to be what's going to be most effective in driving that long-term growth for a brand. So I think the biggest way things are changing for us as an agency is kind of making sure that marketers have the right research tools and advice at their disposal to ensure that their campaigns can really deliver on driving those emotional connections with their shoppers still, even though we're kind of moving towards a more digital environment. Nice. Fantastic. And, and Mark, from your perspective, then, how is your work, how has that consultation aspect of it changed over the last couple of months? Well, I think that the... Um, the most important thing that agencies can do, and I think this uh, is you know very much support of the client, obviously, is is provide the level of innovation um, to and actually challenge clients to to do more and to ensure that they are looking at strategies that they otherwise wouldn't be uh, for exactly moments like this, whereby being ready, being prepared, having a perspective, um, having a position on how to approach something new. Um, could work and so yeah i definitely think that uh, the role of technology and uh, and and indeed strategically as to what aspects of a campaign or indeed a strategy is being um, put together um i think that the agency's role is to is to challenge that as heavily as possible and ensure that innovation is 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 at the forefront of of what what everyone's doing and our, our perspective very much is that innovation is the new creativity here and it, without it um the, the brands will get left behind. And, and we really are seeing a moment in time whereby the way in which people are interacting with content digitally is developing at such a pace and there's so much more investment and so much more focus on this and so much more case studies to draw upon mm. that um, actually, yeah, you, you really have to, um, you have, the agencies have to present ambitious and big ideas. Nice. So I think that's really interesting. Ed, from your perspective, how many of those big ideas are you presenting or are you really more on the sort of i suppose the in the trenches and really you know advising on sort of day-to-day -day stuff 
Yeah, I think a bit of both. I think what we what we try and focus on specifically as like a search agency is being proactive because I think there's nothing worse than um, you know a client seeing another company or a competitor. Uh, doing something based on them having kind of initial hindsight based on some kind of data. And I think being in search, we understand what people are asking online and and looking at shift over time. So, for example, if for some reason a Netflix, such as like Stranger Things or something, current, current um, inspires like 80s fashion, then suddenly people are searching for dungarees online and you have the offering, but you haven't, you know, established that presence uh, successfully. Or if you're, uh, you sell um, gym equipment and due to the pandemic, people aren't going to the gym and uh, your competitor has invested in how to build a home gym online and videos, how to set everything up, which is kind of what I mentioned with the home and garden. You need to have that proactive approach of, if understanding how your audience uh, are searching and, and finding information and, and you know consuming online and how you can be you know proposing that towards the client and being being able to say this is how users are searching this month this is how we expect how we can act on this how we can be proactive rather than allowing that trend to happen and then three months down the line reacting to it late uh, quite you know <laughs> too late because you've not been able to get development or or sign off on a lot of things that's been it's preempted a lot of trends and being able to have that that overview of what's happening in that industry and proposing these ideas to client before um competitors or for that for that potential trend to pass yeah and and you've actually answered a question i didn't even know i had which is why so many people are wearing dungarees again so thanks very <laughs> much and uh i suppose then the next question and one that i'm excited to get all your takes on is what are you most excited about when it comes to the future of retail and e-commerce because we could talk about you know what the, the trends of the past 18 months for well, for for hours and hours and hours, there's been a huge and fundamental change. But looking forward, then, what are some of the things coming down the pipe that you are most excited about? So, Harriet, I wonder if we could begin with you, please. Yeah, sure. I guess I kind of have a, a research-based perspective on this, but I think with regards to what I'm probably most excited about uh, with regards to kind of the, the tech side of things, I think we're seeing more and more of our clients really investing in virtual reality as a tool to help them with the design of some of those retail experiences in store and to really help them use the voice of the customer to guide their decisions here. And I think it's it's a really immersive way of researching that can really help put those real behaviors and emotions at the forefront front of any of their, their new retail ideas. Um, but I think also just this general acceleration of the use of virtual re- virtual reality can be really a powerful tool for retailers more generally too. Um, just for example, as it being a way of bringing those products into the home without people needing to leave the house. I know personally during the pandemic, uh, I mo- moved flats and needed to get some more furniture. And I think there were a lot of kind of furniture providers out there who would, um, as I was mentioning, been super agile and got ready with their um, bringing in tools so that we could virtually view some of those furniture pieces within our flat, which I think was obviously necessary during the pandemic, but I think it's going to be still necessary going forward. And I think just that use of VR, I think it's been on the back on sort of coming to life over the past few years, but I think the pandemic has really helped to accelerate that forward as well. And I think it's going to be a really exciting tool. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I've just written a piece for the drum actually about exactly that, about how retail brands are using kind of VR and AR to really sort of engage consumers, whether that's in-store experiences or whether that is, as you mentioned, kind of that at-home AR that really helps almost streamline that purchase funnel. And and as a a huge fan of VR as well, I'm I'm fingers crossed that that happens sooner rather than later. And so, Ed, then, from your perspective, what are some of those big uh, developments you're excited about? 
I guess as a person in the trenches, as, as you've mentioned, I think headless CMSs for, for e-commerce. I think, um, as mentioned here, I'm a big fan of flexibility and also, I guess, scalability should have, you know, an e-commerce website seen success, uh, successful growth in this period. I think, you know, the headless CMS approach and headless e-commerce specifically, I think allows a lot of companies to adapt as they as they grow and be able to scale up flexibility. I think, as mentioned, working with clients, we've certainly... Um, highlighted issues where it's not been able to adapt the the current storefront or there's been issues you know that that have led to delays three to six months not being able to be as proactive as we like so i think adaption of these and being able to kind of be more custom with your with your setup and being able to um yeah use uh, be more scalability and, and flexible with your website will allow us just to be a bit more proactive and understand trend data and understand what to act on Nice, fantastic. And then, Mark, you'll have a slightly different perspective, I suspect. So what are you most excited about? Sure. So I think, um, overarchingly, the, it's, it's, it's been really interesting to see how the technology, uh, technology has been used across retail. I mean, there, as you say rightly, that the, the in-store experience is kind of the starting point. But actually, the, the at-home one is, is in some ways the, the, real, the real challenge. Or not challenge, but real opportunity uh, that, that's there. And more and more people are looking at these technologies. I mean, as you said already, AR and being able to look at a shoe on your foot before you've purchased it, for example, is, is just an incredible way of being able to deliver an actual experience and yeah. having some tactility, if you like, to to the, uh, to, 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 to purchasing something. And I think engagement and it, something that allows the user to get involved in a new way uh, is, is, is the trick. Uh, to uh, and that's what actually is delivering experiences and that's what's converting things because as soon as someone is able to play it becomes personalized almost natively and as a result of that personalization they are, are uh, that they're so much more likely to, to 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 actually you know convert and i think as well that anything rich media is 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 as soon as mobile really kind of became centerfold and you know purchasing through instagram or pinterest or whatever it might be um Engaging with with video and uh, and other assets like that have a really a really valuable. But as we move forward, I think live is going to be, become way more of a focus for retail than yeah. it currently kind of is and is understood to be. Like live streaming and real time purchasing and the idea that you can be and it's not like this this horrible idea of sort of telesales back in the day. There's like a very a way more modern equivalent of that where you're leveraging your influence and networks, your culture setters, and they're the ones that are showing you stuff in real time and you're purchasing as you're watching. And there's been a ton of examples of that starting to happen. Uh, Tommy Hilfiger did a really interesting thing. Um, there's 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 a lot of sort of moments, I think, whereby we're going to start seeing uh, applications whereby you're watching things and purchasing them as you're watching them and video and the retail and conversion mechanism kind of get blended into the singular tool and um yeah i'm, I'm really excited to see what that's going to look like and how brands are going to use that and create formats around it and um, that, that that people connect with we, we could do entire podcasts on every single one of the things that you all just mentioned there whether that is vr you know whether that is that kind of that live aspect of it but then i suppose in order to take advantage of that, we're going to have to have agencies and brands who are almost ahead of the curve, the curb of, of the curve. So, Mark, I wondered if you could maybe, as a sort of penultimate question, give a bit of advice on where brands should be placing their chips when it comes to retail of the future. Not necessarily the thing you're most excited about, but the thing that you are, almost that lays the groundstones of it. Where should people be looking to invest their time and resources at the moment? 
Sure. I like I think that um I think that it's diversification is probably the most important um sensible answer to that to that in in that you know you can't turn your back on physical retail um and you can't put all your eggs in any one basket because consumer trends do change and I think that being able to successfully have a foot not in all uh, places, but in 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 all of the obvious ones, is the most logical way of doing it. Not having a digital strategy is isn't a strategy. Um, so I, I think that I think that yeah, people that know what they're doing are going to ensure that they can cover off the bases and be able to adapt to those things. And you know, actually, um, as Ed said a, a moments ago, you know, having those tools that allow you to be more flexible and agile. Uh, and do more more quickly um, is is probably the best place to um, to 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 settle. Nice, fantastic. And then from your perspective, then where should brands be really placing their chips when it comes to getting ahead of the retail trends of the future? Yeah, definitely. I, I think I have a few, but I think the first one that I we've been really focused on is testing everything. I think you can avoid expensive mistakes, but also we love working with companies that. Uh, kind of an open book, but want to understand and test everything that may may not work and, and may work and being able to kind of create a library from that in terms of understanding what has worked for them and what hasn't and where to double down their efforts. I guess specifically in the marketing side of things in terms of there's so many kind of testing propositions now in terms of split testing across so many channels. I think in you know exploring that, especially if you're a new brand, I think exploring that, understanding the data and understand what works well with you. And then fundamentally, I think focus on brand building with all campaigns, making sure that you know each customer that is you know receiving your marketing or anything is just having a good experience i think just due to how competitive now is com- competitive it is now in the e-commerce space you know add uh, you know cost per clicks and everything like that is is huge so that you know customer retention is a is a key goal and being able to attract customers and make sure that you're providing them with that good experience and making sure that they're coming to you again rather than having to to compete for them in 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 marketplaces is gonna gonna help you save a lot uh, help you save save a lot of money in the future. Nice, it's it's good to know that that kind of that focus on experience isn't going to get lost as we transition to that kind of much more online version of of retail, and then. Yeah. Harry, then where should, uh, from from a market research point of view, where should we be placing our attention almost? What should we be paying the most attention to? I think kind of from our perspective, it's going to be all about really humanizing that digital retail journey. I mean, we've obviously seen that this big push from brands to make sure their websites and apps function well to cope with all of these increasing demands. But I think with more and more people continuing to shop online rather than in store, I think people are going to be looking to brands whose digital environments provide them with those authentic interactions and those that expert knowledge that store colleagues would previously have offered. And ultimately, with kind of that transparency to help build and maintain the trust in your brand as well. Before I thank you all, I wondered if you could maybe share the best place to get in contact with you. So if any of the audience wants to reach out and pick your brains, where's the best place for them to reach you? Could be company website, it could be your email, could be your LinkedIn. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a couple of places where you can reach me. Um, you, you can reach me directly via my email address, which is harriet.woolly at woolnotunlimited.com or, or alternatively, um, you can get in touch via LinkedIn or via the Woolnot Unlimited website. Nice. Fantastic. And Ed? Cool. You can find me on Twitter, share a lot of uh, kind of search insights on there and strategy. So that's at Ed with two Ds, then JTW. I'm also on LinkedIn at just Ed with two Ds again, and then Wilson. Nice. Fantastic. And finally, Mark? 
Hi, yeah, you can get a hold of me uh, via the Lively Agency website, which is lively.agency. And I'm also on LinkedIn. And yeah. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for that. That's been really, really interesting, not just for me, but I'm sure for the audience as well. So Mark and Harriet, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the Drum Network podcast to discuss retail and e-commerce trends now and into the future. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.